This is design school. Aaron Kendig, thank you for being on the show with us today. We're really excited to have you. We wanted to start the conversation off just by asking, what are you doing these days? Uh, first off, thank you for having me. This is an exciting opportunity. I um, I work as the managing editor of Arcade, which is a Seattle-based nonprofit that publishes a magazine about design in the built environment. And we also put on lectures and other community events. And um, in addition to working at Arcade, I also have my own private art practice. So I'm a fine artist. Mm -hmm. And at Arcade, I so actually this month marks my 10-year uh, anniversary at Arcade. Really? Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Thanks. I um, did not realize it was that long. I did not. I don't think did LinkedIn is that all on LinkedIn? Uh, uh, I think so. Maybe I'm not a huge LinkedIn oh, okay. user. Yeah, but it it might be. Yeah, I mean, so I started working wow. at Arcade um, my senior year at uh, the University of Washington, and mm -hmm. I have worked there either in a part time or a full time capacity for yeah the last ten years. Mm -hmm. So it's been really fun. So it's fun to be able to come on here and talk about what we do there and what I do there. Um, right now, my current role there is um, I'm the managing editor. Mm -hmm. We have a very small staff of three um, full-time, or not full-time staff people, but staff people who are in the office. Um, and I work with our executive director and editor, Kelly Rodriguez, to um, produce the editorial content. Our writers are members of the community, and they contribute voluntarily to our magazine. Mm -hmm. And... Kelly does the initial stages of developing the content with the writers and taking pitches and reaching out to people. And also we will work with a editor, a guest editor who comes in and helps curate our feature section for each issue for the most part. Sometimes Arcade does that. And once that initial work is done, then I work with the writers to further develop and refine their pieces for publication. I also manage our advertising and help with some other organizational activities around marketing and outreach and fundraising. And cause, because we're such a small staff, we all kind of help out with a lot of different stuff. And we work with a volunteer board and um, different committees. And we have a volunteer editorial committee, which helps us develop the editorial direction that we will take for the year. And it's a it's a very much a labor of love, as we put it. We have a new graphic designer that comes in every volume. And and what kind of artwork do you do? I my artwork, I work on paper and um, they're small to medium size, I guess, works on paper and I use mostly watercolor, some ink, and gouache in my current series that I'm working on. And my art, the subject matter, is inspired by the Northwest landscape and plant life. And I'm very inspired and I think influenced by uh, landscape traditions, but also by different narrative storytelling and illustrative traditions as well. So while these paintings are depicting the landscape, they're actually sort of made to be the characters as well and slightly 
very slightly kind of anthropomorphized and put in a role where they are the characters versus the backdrop that an animal or a human is acting against. And they have a very kind of graphic or illustrative feel to them. And so, you know, there, there are a lot of paintings of moss and trees and clouds and fog and mushrooms. And it's all very, very stylized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very fascinating. If you don't mind, maybe we'll uh, link to it on our website. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, I think that would be good. And so you said you work part time with arcade and you do this part time. How is that balance? Uh, have you found that balance? And is that a kind of an ebb and flow? Like I'm, I'm assuming that arcade has its height and stress season and then it has a perhaps a lull to it. Yes. And I recently made this switch starting last fall, so fall 2015. So still trying to kind of figure out how that works a little bit. But yes, it's definitely an ebb and a flow based on how Arcade's editorial deadlines work. So I base my day-to-day schedule around what needs to be done at Arcade. And I've done it long enough that I have a pretty good sense of what that is and similar to how graphic designers probably have a sense of when a project is maybe going well or maybe starting to kind of go off the rails a little bit in terms of time. And you can kind of start to rein that back and get a sense for how things are going. So I keep an eye on that. And then I work my art practice in around that. So for me, I've been finding that a good balance is I work a full work week during the week. I try to put in eight to 10 hours a day, either on arcade or on my art. And I have an idea of what my schedule looks like that week and I fill it in. So it's probably really similar to how someone would manage any sort of creative or design studio, looking at what are the deadlines coming up? What do you think those projects are gonna take in terms of time and then trying to fill in the gaps places. And then I often end up working on the weekend as well. But it's nice being more part-time at Arcade. Before, I was working full-time and then also working in my art practice around that, which was good, and a lot of working artists do that. Um, They work in the evenings or mornings and weekends and try to kind of balance it and not get totally burnt out. So, and it was getting a little tiring. So it's much, it is nicer to have more time that I can work on my art now. What does your workspace for art look like? Um, it, I work out of my small apartment that I share with my boyfriend who also works at home a lot Mm -hmm. because he, uh, he's a professor in the philosophy department at UW and he prefers to write at home. And we have a small one bedroom apartment, which he is very kindly, um, agreed, uh, to let me have the basically the bedroom room for my like because I work from uh, home from arcade most of the time too so I kind of like hole up in that room where I have my art stuff and I usually do my arcade work in there also and my work is small enough and tidy enough that I actually work in a very small space on a desk that I've had since I was maybe 10 years old maybe someday I'll you know upgrade to an actual you know get some big kid furniture yeah I'll get some big kid furniture um so I work in that room and then he usually is working in 
the other room and we've kind of outfitted that room. It's like a fairly large room and we've kind of divided it up with some furniture where like the bed is and then there's like the living area. So it's pretty small, but I, I, you know, I prefer working from home because it's just easier to pick it up and work whenever. If I have some downtime, I can work for a couple hours and switch gears to something else. Some Maybe someday it'd be nice to have a studio that's away from the the home and everything. It does definitely, I've been uh, feeling a little bit of cabin fever because I have my art practice at home and then I work from home from uh, when I do my arcade work a lot and then I'm just kind of an introverted homebody anyway. And so um, now I'm kind of feeling like I'm maybe need to get out of the apartment a little bit more. <laughs> do you find that uh, you can stay inspired being in the same environment for both this editorial work as well as this creative practice work? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I've heard I've heard a lot of things where people, you know, the suggestion of for whether that be sleeping or working on different types of things, having dedicated spaces for the different activities in your life. Um, having them pretty close together space-wise, I haven't found a big problem. I do have that little uh, desk that I've had since I have 10. That's sort of the art desk. And then I usually, you know, work in a chair totally hunched over my laptop or I've tried to kind of create this uh, uh, at-home standing desk situation, which is me like perching my laptop on top of my dresser. And uh, <laughs> so to avoid the, the bad posture situation. Um, and then sometimes I go work in the other room on the couch or something. But yeah, no, I mean, Arcade is so inspirational and um, I enjoy the work so much that I don't find it to be um, a hindrance in any way and same with the art practice I think in some way makes me I mean it puts me in a good mood and feels makes me feel inspired to work on arcade stuff Um, have you guys worked in I mean you guys have probably worked in design studios where you have people working with you all the time and I've been in that environment too and I guess Mm -hmm. there's different ways you if you need to feel like a little bit alone you can put headphones on or earplugs. I'm a big earplug enthusiast because mm-hmm. I like to like like sensory deprivation or something. So it um, helps me focus. Um, but yeah, you can do those things. And then it's nice to be around people. Yeah. I think. I've been lucky enough to actually have my own office um, in places that I've worked. And so closing the door and creating my own little sound environment or you know mood environment yeah has always been something that I've grown that I have become accustomed to but as well as something that I've needed it wasn't until um, hmm, it wasn't until maybe grad school where we had this more open studio space similar to like the UW where I was like oh I, I have to be in communication with other people and they want to talk about their projects, and, and, and it, it, it took a while, but I, I definitely did grow to enjoy it, and I think that's part of the reason why I became uh, a professor myself was I enjoy that critique, that conversation about work in progress as yeah. opposed to just at the end, please tell me how great I did, you know, praise, 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 and then go away and I'll do my own work again. Yeah, that's really nice to be in an environment like that and it's really motivating too so yeah because it's nice to be by yourself maybe but it's also nice to reconnect with other people and get feedback and then it's there's always something a little bit not depressing but maybe depressing when you're working really late at night by yourself and everyone is out having fun and particularly in school when I was in design school it was really nice 
to have we had an open studio format and we had our own desk and computer and kind of um, space and everyone you could go home and work if you wanted but it was nice to kind of stay late and be around your peers because you felt like you were like more in it together and I actually depending on the work I'm doing for Arcade I really enjoy going into the office we have office space down at um, Methune Methune's an architecture and urban design landscape firm and it's you know it's just kind of nice to be around people I guess it depends on what part of the stage of the creative process or you know, maybe a little bit of everything is mm-hmm. is good. And Chad, we've always talked about how how much you're a, uh, a I'm going to put that in quotes, a people person. Are you being sarcastic? Uh, <laughs> if that isn't translated through the radio, then oh, yeah. I'm a people person. But I feel like you like to design on your own. I'm well. I'm very introverted. Yeah. But actually, I mean, this process of going through thesis and working by myself for a year has been extremely challenging. Really? Yes. I would think that would be kind of up your alley. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of uh, nice as we've been talking to like have this back and forth and communication and feel like you're in it with other people. And, um, you know, you kind of lose like a sense of that a little bit. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's one thing to be working on your own, but still be working with the, uh, on other people. Yeah. I mean, just similar to how you're talking about arcade, it's like you can work independently, but every once in a while it's nice to like go back and there's these other people that are also working on like these other pieces of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would even say that's part of like arcade as an organization in a sense. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're, we try to do is, because um, I think another thing that can happen when you're working on a project, whether it's your own project or your firm's project or whatever, you can become uh, kind of maybe isolated within um, your work group. And one thing that I have found in school is there is a real sense of camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And um, so one thing that Arcade tries to do through events and through the magazine is to create connections with the design community. So you kind of can connect with your peers and have that, you know, I think we're all in it together type of thing because it can be just really easy to just get everyone so busy and you get so stuck just working on, you know, whatever you're working on it. You need to come up for air sometimes, I think, and reconnect with the, you know, creatives around you. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was, I mean, the whole idea and concept of Arcade and this idea of um, writing around design which most people don't even don't associate writing with design. And I was curious as, you know, a lot of the content comes from contributors, how like how does that process work and especially you tend to be the person kind of working with them to like mm-hmm. um, refine that. What does that process look like? It uh it really it varies a lot. Um so our con- so we have um, many of our contributors are uh, design practitioners or people who work with other design fields closely. So, mm-hmm. you know, engineers would be a common one. And then we also have a lot of professional people who have a lot of professional writing experience, journalists mm-hmm. and academics who also have a more professional writing experience. But academic writing is very different from popular writing. Yes. I've found. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um so it kind of it really it varies because people come to the table with different experiences and 
all the the pieces vary a lot too. Mm -hmm. the type of content we explore some of them most of them I would describe maybe as thought pieces but Mm -hmm. we also have some that might have more of a a personal story aspect to it or maybe some of them are more about arguing a certain point of view and some of them are more descriptive or sharing facts and um, we really try to work to preserve each writer's voice and the intent. So as an editor, it's really about working with the writer and trying to help them tell the best version of the story they're trying to tell. And so depending on how the piece comes in, um, the you know advice and suggestions and edits I would provide would be different for each one. And yeah, designers are designers are great to work with. Um, and I think that the editing process is actually, it's not the same as critique, but it's not totally different either. Because mm-hmm. um, again, I feel like in critique, you're trying to understand what someone is trying to do and then assessing whether that's happening or not in a way, mm-hmm. um, and then give your feedback. And then they are free to take your feedback or maybe counter or not. Yeah. Um, and then there's, as an editor, another thing that, Um, you would be doing would be keeping in mind the publication's audience and how that reader might interpret what is being said. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting thing that I also think is really similar to design because you're always having to be empathetic in terms of understanding how a user would encounter something. And it's very similar to the same state of mind you might be in when thinking of how a reader would encounter something. So it's really rewarding because I've gotten to work with a lot of different people. And um, we usually, once a piece gets to me, we usually have at least usually a couple rounds of back and forth, maybe more, maybe less, depending on um, how long the piece is and what it's trying to say and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's pretty collaborative. I wonder if people always understand how collaborative the writing process is. I mean, I assume it's like that everywhere. It's definitely like that at Arcade, and I've heard from other people it seems pretty common that a lot of people will be reviewing your writing, and there are many stages to the writing process, and um, that's just that's normal. Mm-hmm. Aaron, I find that uh, what you were just saying reminds me uh, a bit about what we talk about in class for the seniors that are getting ready to to graduate about a balancing act or about how to have that kind of critical discourse that is outside of the classroom. Have you found that that is something that other artists or other designers that you work with have um, have already ingrained in them? Or is it something that is kind of trained by working with Arcade? It seems to, I think it varies. It seems like some designers are, well, I guess if you're writing for Arcade, you're already sort of interested in having that kind of critical discourse. Um, People either come to us with ideas or we will approach people we would like to hear from. And so if you agree to do it, then you're probably pretty interested in that. But I don't know, it kind of seems to vary. Um, I think it's really great to participate in this kind of discourse. and designers are visual thinkers, obviously, but so many 
of our ideas are transferred through writing. You know, writing is about idea sharing. And when these ideas are shared, it helps everyone in the community to grow because you get access to new perspectives and knowledge. And so if you have a really interesting design practice, it's good to share that. And if you're a good writer, that's just one more tool you have to um, get your ideas out there. And I also think that the writing price process can be a unique and helpful experience in terms of getting clarity about what you think about your design and what you want to be doing. There's something special that happens when you have to put down in writing in an articulate and clear way what you're trying to think, especially when it might be a big picture kind of idea. I mean, you know, the saying a picture is worth worth a thousand words. Well, like what order do those words go in, you know, when you because I think that designers um, and when people are engaging in the design process, um, it's definitely very analytical, but it's also maybe a little bit more holistic in terms of how you're thinking about things all fitting together. And then writing is pretty linear. Um, and so, yeah, thinking about how you articulate all those complex ideas that might be rolling around in your head and getting them out there in a way that's going to be pleasing to read about and clear and so other people can engage with them and I think there's lots of ways that we do that I think podcasts like this are one great way and um, events and obviously um, lectures and you know being face to face with someone and having a conversation is maybe the most valuable place but I think there's something unique and special about writing both producing writing and then sitting with someone else's writing and contemplating it and analyzing it. And so before I started working at Arcade, I was an English major as an undergraduate. So basically I just read books and analyzed them all the time and wrote <laughs> papers about them. And that was why I um, became involved with Arcade to begin with and then um, became more interested in design. And I'd always been interested in art, but yeah, so I, I'm very pro, pro writing about your ideas and sharing them in that way. Um, what about you guys? Have you guys written much? Um, how does that work into your practices and your work as an educator and you are writing or you're working on a thesis? Is there like, it sounds like perhaps there's a written component or um, what's that like? Yeah, I think um, uh, my undergraduate degree was in communication. So oh, I was nice. <laughs> uh, communication writing and I had a pretty solid foundation of that. But then um, as I kind of shifted into design, I was still writing a lot, but less and less. And then when I came back to grad school, um, writing is a large component of that. Mm. And even in design school, it's, you know, you're still doing a lot of making, but then you're also doing a lot of writing and um, reading in junction with that. And now that I'm moving on to my thesis, I've kind of gone through this period of where I've been writing less, but I know that there's this writing coming up because... Um, after we've kind of completed our project, we put together uh, like all of our documentation and um, uh, all of that. And then we have to kind of re-explain. So we have like the writing at the beginning of the proposal and all of that. And then you do your project and then at the end, and then you kind of have to write about uh, tying it all together. And then you hope that from the beginning to the end, like it kind of yeah. fit, fit back together well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, writing, much as what you said, is a really great way to um, clarify your ideas in um, a linear and logical way that um, visually we don't usually do. <laughs> so, um, yeah. How about you, JP? There's a phrase that I like from, my, uh, from a book that I read when I was in grad school called... Um, 
education of a graphic designer, I think it was called. And um, there's an article in there about design as author. And I really like that idea of designer, a designer being uh, an author or having authorship over what they do and what they write about. That I've really tried to instill that into, into my students is that that you have to write articles or that you have to write books about things, but you have to consider yourself uh, a researcher. You have to consider yourself uh, thoughtful and critical about what you design. Book-wise or article-wise, I've, I've written things over the years, um, probably starting once I was in grad school, you know, I became much more uh, connected into it all. And um, the older I get, the more I think I'm, I'm gravitating to less of a of a career in or a practice in design and more into the criticism or the uh, exploration of that. So I can see myself in the next couple of years looking at writing something a little bit larger. Um, maybe that'll be part of my my next sabbatical. Does that feel like a twilight thing? Do I am I getting older? Is he, are you two looking at me? And it's like oh. He's going to write his memoir. We're all getting older. Geez. Yeah, I had 10 years at Arcade. That means 10 years out of college, too. Oh, was the older thing that that marked for me this year. I was thinking about it. Seems like a long time ago, but then not a long time ago. It's not, to me, that means that you have had many different roles in both Arcade, but as well as your, in your career. Yeah, I had a very wandering well, I don't know if that's fair to say. I, I, I explored many different options when I was in my 20s because I wasn't, um, I didn't go to college with an, uh, a profession in mind that I would explore afterwards. I knew I was interested in art and I really loved reading and writing. So um, I, at one point I thought maybe I want to be a teacher. Nope. That is not something I wanted. Well, not, not right now. I mean, I thought maybe I wanted to be a high school teacher, but then I decided that was probably not for me this moment. And then, you know, I had some different jobs that were more closely or yeah, experiences that were more closely aligned with marketing. And then I went back to design school for two years and, um, all the while trying to, build my art practice and figure out how that works because I'm not I don't have a degree in fine art so it's been taking classes here and there and kind of um, figuring that out for myself a little bit so yeah I've I've tried a lot of different things my my uh, path has not been a straight shot and I don't you know I could have never anticipated that I would have found and been working at a place like arcade when I went into college I couldn't have been like I'm going to college so I will work at an architecture design magazine when I graduate it was um, a matter of luck and then noticing when interesting opportunities came my way and saying yes to the right things and no to the right things and you know I used to you know I think when I was in my 20s it felt that felt scary um, I definitely when I graduated from school and I didn't have this five-year plan that kind of freaked me out a little bit I don't know if some of your design student listeners will appreciate that um, or if people are recently out of school but it ended up being good and it turns out that's just actually how life works so you just can't predict everything so do you have a five-year plan now um no not really I don't know if I'm really a five-year plan type of type of person I have some I think that for me a better way of thinking about it is what are the types of things that I want to be spending my time on 
and looking maybe a couple years out about how I want to structure my time. And once you get clear about how you want to be spending your time, it makes it easier to say yes and no to different opportunities that come your way. Because I think also as you get older and you build your network, like more and more opportunities are presented to you. And it's good to know which ones to say yes and no to. And as you know, as you get older, you probably have more of a sense like JP, you have you've been figuring out, hey, maybe I want to do more criticism right now. And because you know that you can say yes to criticism opportunities that come your way and maybe no to more design opportunities that come your way because you know what you want, but you might not necessarily have like a step by step plan. Or maybe you do. I don't know. Do you guys have five year five year plans? Well, I happen to have it in my pocket. Oh, Uh, no, I I do not have a five. I I have a weekend plan. What about you? What's your five year five year plan? Oh man, yeah, Chad. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm wrapping up my last five year plan. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'm trying to figure out my next five year plan, um, which is actually weird because I mean we talk about like five year plans and stuff like that, and um, I was actually um going through like a bunch of old stuff and getting rid of old stuff, and uh. Um, I'll mention Marie Kondo's name. I I did Marie Kondo on my uh, room. She's like the tidying up, like get oh, rid of yeah. things, and only keeping things that bring but you joy. But you love and everything. But you have to thank it for its service. And you oh, thank it for its service, and you you passed along. Um, so, anyways, I recently got rid of a lot of stuff. But um, some of that stuff was some old things from undergrad, and uh, actually found things in there that were referencing like wanting to go to bat grad school for design already and like in hindsight like i didn't realize i was thinking about those things then and it's like oh i actually like was kind of making this five-year plan and i you know like i did some stuff along the way that i didn't um like it was a little open but like i actually kind of stuck to it pretty well so now i'm trying to figure out what that next five-year plan is and figure out how i can make it happen without realizing i'm making it happen (laughs) Yeah, I've found a sort of similar effect, like looking back to things I liked as a kid. More and more I'm doing them now. Mm -hmm. It just took like a really long time (laughs) to get to that kind of full circle spot. In hindsight, I'm just like, well, why didn't I, how was I not more conscious of that like all along? Why didn't I just say yes and then just do it? But sometimes you got to do it the hard way to figure that out. Yeah. What was it that uh, we were talking about a couple of months ago? Uh, the long, hard, stupid way. Yeah, Frank, <laughs> Frank Camaro, the yeah. long, hard, stupid way. I mentioned that to uh, my students a couple of uh, days ago on a mm-hmm. lecture about creativity. So yeah. I was thinking about you then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think also um, it can be good to just, I think if you're not sure what you want to do, to you just like got to pick a direction and go for it. I feel like that's a lesson I sort of learned a little bit working as a designer. It's like if you were really indecisive, it would be really it's really hard to be a designer because you're constantly making decisions. And maybe the decision, maybe there is not a perfect option, but at some point you have to pick the one that seems sort of okay or the best and just Mm -hmm. go for it. And then you learn along the process what the next decision is. So at some point, maybe you don't have your life perfectly mapped out, but um having a sense of what you want to do now and then maybe a vague sense of what where that might go in the future at least that's maybe a little bit more how i 
tend to operate because otherwise I just get into like have like an existential crisis and just you know <laughs> mired mired in doubt and the tyranny of choices <laughs> before me and yeah um, I like a- I like that comment you just made that designers can't have indecisiveness because they're constantly making decisions all the time but yeah I find a lot of times students are in that scope of there is so much that I have to do it is debilitating to do it do you ever find that still um definitely if there have been um dif- so um the workflow at arcade is pretty intense and there's a lot of different things to juggle especially when I was there more full-time and yeah, it can be really overwhelming to have a really giant to-do list. And I think that there is definitely, um, it's definitely important to be able to just kind of take things one step at a time, I think. And I think that um, in general, something that's important is just finding out how you work best and what your weaknesses are and what your strengths are and kind of exploiting those in lots of different areas. Um, and just, yeah, I guess kind of knowing yourself is maybe just the answer to many, many of these questions, which is a very hard thing to do, knowing yourself, it turns out. Um, but yeah, it is, it can be hard to make decisions when you have so many before you and not feel overwhelmed. Yep, yep. Know thyself. <laughs> know thyself, oh, I like that one. <laughs> Uh, how do you, so doing this podcast, um, how do you see that, um, relating to the process of writing and conversation and how has your experience at this podcast maybe impacted your own practices and helped you grow? That's a good question. I know for me, um, part of it is, is, um, I sit down and write the transcripts for all these that we then put on the site. And so going through that process, you realize how different the process of speech is from the process of writing. Yes, I've also encountered that every time we edit uh, Uh interviews, yeah. Yeah, and so for this, like I've stylistically made that choice to keep it very true to Mm -hmm. the way people talk and not try and edit it down a lot. but it like that was like a huge realization and then thinking in terms of how this impacts um, like the work I do and the things like that. I think it's for me, it's I mean, I've talked many times about how talking to other people has kind of um, broadened this idea of like all these roles uh, design can play in the world and uh, all these different aspects of it and the different ways it can be done. But yet it's all still falls under this giant umbrella of design um, and design criticism, design writing, and all of that falls into that too. Um, but oftentimes in school, we're only exposed to like this little tiny piece of it. And so um, it's kind of the bigger thing is kind of like making that broader, more well known or, you know, trying to expose that um, and learning through that, I guess. So Chad does all of the transcribing, but I do all of the editing. Oh, yeah. I I get to listen to everyone over and over and over again and make the small little edits and hear all of the the fascinating details of the way that people speak or breathe. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. The other thing that I, I have found interesting is finding a pattern of the way people think about uh, design. 
and it doesn't have to be in the same subject matter, but they are all thinking about it as a not as part of who they are and not so much as a career that they have to do. And I think that that's been very uh, educational for me because then I translate that back into the classroom and talk to my students about making choices about lifestyle, making choices about how they need to be uh, fulfilled and encouragement of getting through that hump in order to, to, to let the, the life continue to happen after they've got that first paycheck, after they have that blow up with the boss or after that design project just does not go very well. How do you survive those things and not give up at that, at that moment? And I think that this podcast has been an integral part of that. So it's not just design school for the students, but it has been design school for me as well, is learning how to teach design again um, or how to revise design again. Um, I've been doing this now for 11 years and 12 years, if you include what I did at SAIC, and oh my goodness, you know, things have changed quite a bit um, of expectations for, from uh, the 90s to the 2000s to now the teens. And who knows what it's going to be like in the, in the future. I, I'm very fascinated. I'm very excited. And I'm also very curious. And I think that that curiosity is something that has stemmed this podcast growth from here. And hopefully it, uh, hopefully it continues. Nice. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for stopping by and uh, having a conversation with us. We, uh, we had a great time. Thank you for having me. Yeah. See you next time. This is Design School is recorded at the KPOU Studios. For additional information about each episode, visit thisisdesign.school. The intro music for This is Design School is Electronic Nostalgic, composed by Paul Tyen and published under the Creative Commons on SoundCloud. We'd love to hear what you like, what you don't like, and what you want to hear on the show. Join us on Twitter at JPAvila and at Chad P. Hall. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. And share us with your designer friends. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>